Hi, I'm Anita Adalja, the Food Safety Project Manager of the National Young Farmers Coalition. The coalition is a national advocacy network of farmers, ranchers, and land workers fighting for the future of agriculture. We work to change policy, build networks, and provide business services to ensure all farmers have the chance to succeed. And I'm Billy Mitchell of the National Farmers Union, a membership-based organization that advocates for farmers, ranchers, fishers, and their communities through education, cooperation, and legislation. This podcast series you're listening to is an introduction to the Young Farmer's Guide to Writing a Food Safety Plan. We will be featuring farmers sharing stories of best practices that have improved their farm and impacted their food safety planning along the way. You might be wondering why we think this series and food safety plan guide are important. Well, we heard from farmers that writing a food safety plan can be tricky for a number of reasons. In fact, in a recent survey of farmers on Instagram, we found that 62% have started and stopped writing a food safety plan two to three times out of frustration. Our hope is that these recordings and accompanying guide will be a resource that can help us all get through the process. Thanks for joining us and happy listening. Water is vital to life and farm operations. And it's also important to understand in food safety because it spreads bacteria very effectively. A little amount of bacteria in a large amount of water can contaminate a lot of produce. Water is also a big factor in bacterial growth. It allows bacteria to live beyond its original source. Also, things that stay wet, like pulling water on the floor of a walking cooler, can be a big risk factor for listeria. On farms, we use water for many daily tasks, from washing our hands, to irrigating crops, to cleaning tools, and rinsing harvested produce. That's why it's important to know the quality of our water sources. Let's hear what Brent and Rachel have to say about this topic. Okay, uh, my name is Brent Biles, and my farm is Rolling Branch Farms. We're in Naylor, Georgia. It's a very small town, about 25 miles from Florida. And what what do y'all grow at Uh, Rolling Branch Farms? We grow pecans, uh, satsumas, tangerines, navels, and assortment of cut flowers and what's a satsuma a satsuma that's a uh it's a mandarin variety very easy to peel very sweet pretty much completely seedless it may have three or four seeds every once in a while and probably uh probably one of the earlier varieties to come off the trees around the uh, holiday seasons so pretty good pretty good little uh fruit if you ask me of course i sell them i might be a little biased I would agree. I think they're also pretty good little fruits. Uh, where do you sell your produce? Uh, we sell uh, to Whole Foods, Common Market. Uh, we have farm stands. We do local farm stands. And we have we've done a few uh, fundraisers in the past, but they've been kind of small. They haven't been very big yet. Yet We're looking at expanding into that area. We, do a, uh, we have an online store. We send out gift boxes during the holidays. And then we've also started uh, partnering up with Second Harvest and getting on some of their different programs that they have for their box the box programs. And um, it's done pretty good. Will you talk a little bit more about what Second Harvest is? Oh, Second Harvest is basically it's for, you know, underprivileged, underserved 
uh, communities. They do a lot of work with the schools and and basically it's to, it, it's basically an organization of combating hunger. It's pretty much what it is. And it you know it's for people who who really don't have the means to buy a lot of good produce and good food and things. And what they'll do is they'll they'll, they'll take the things that the high end grocery stores don't accept into their into their stores, they'll take that, they'll take all the excess and they have it graded out. You know, they'll go off the USDA system for grading and things like that. And, you know, it, it's most of the time it's just straight donations. You take it in for, as a farmer, you take your excess in there and, and it's more of a tax write off thing. They'll give you a form and you just take it off at the end of the year. So, and uh, but they do some really good work. I think the uh, last time they had Satsumas in their drive in December for uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, they, uh, I think they said the parking lot was filled with pills. <laughs> so all the all the kids ate it before they even got in the car to go home. So uh, it was it's pretty good. It's a nice organization to be partnered up with. Yeah, that's a good sign when people are eating it literally right out of the box. Good stuff. Okay. And so, what are the water sources on your farm? Uh, we do well water. That is that is pretty much our our only avenue. We have the option to irrigate from the ponds. But from a food safety, just being from an ease of food safety standpoint, using a pond is, it, we don't have animals out here that, that forage or anything. We don't have cows. We don't have goats, chickens, any of that stuff near our water. But it, it, it takes away a lot, of, a lot of struggles and challenges whenever you're irrigating from a well as opposed to, say, just a pond or something like that. And do you, do you test that well water? Yes, we do. Yeah, we uh we basically test it. We try to do about a week or two out from when our harvest starts for satsumas. That's really that's really what our our water test is for. It's not so much for pecans. They they are they do have food safety involved with them once they've been shelled out. But for the most part, your growing practices are pretty well regulated by the USDA. You know your your typical records for sprays and and fertilizers and and those kind of things. So it, it's more of a it's an in-shell product, so no, it, the actual edible part doesn't get touched until after it's gone through the shelling process. So we don't have to worry about pecans. However, with the satsumas, you have water in the rinsing. You have water, I mean, really right up until the point where they're put into the box, they, they tend to be a little wet. So you have to have every well that you use tested at least once a year. And for a farmer that's never tested their water before, do you have any advice? It's not hard. It's very easy. Like it, it's, I think whenever you have multiple sources of water, it gets a little complicated simply. I mean, this past year we had to test four different wells simply because of where our fields are located and the potential that we would be using that water in the process to wash buckets. But once you've done it the first time, it, you pretty well feel kind of goofy for being that worried about it. It, it's not as hard as the SOPs and the and the buildup of the audit makes it seem. And the important thing to realize to remember is to use the container that is that is authorized by the place where you're where you're taking your water sample to. Make sure you take it that day. Don't don't pull it and wait that afternoon when it's been sitting on the dashboard of your farm truck turning into a pile of boiling water. You want to fill up your can and you take it to where it goes. I think we spend $30 per test, maybe, which it's a lot that when you a small, small operation, but at the end of the day, I mean, that food safety certification is going to get you into places that you're not going to without it. 
what you're losing not doing it is a lot more than what you're going to cost you up front. Have you ever had a shock chlorinate your well? Uh, are you talking about treating the well? Yes, sir. Yeah. Have you ever had to treat your well? We have not had to treat any of them. We did have one test that came back with the E. coli in it. And what had happened is that we have water hoses that we use at the, at the points during the, during the harvest time. We have our own water hoses. We have designated just for the harvest period. And instead of hooking that up and then testing from the end of the hose, I just used the one that we used to spray off everything and didn't think about it. It had been like, it, I guess it had fallen down in the ground and it's not in the harvest area. So there's a dog running around all over the place, a little neighbor dog or whatever. And I don't know, it came back positive for E. coli. So I freaked out, thought everything was going to go crazy. I was like, oh gosh, we got to treat a well and then do like three more tests. And then, so what I did is I changed the water hose out. And then I followed the procedure. You know, you let it run for a few minutes, make sure that all the debris out of the hose, tested it again, it came back zero, complete zero thing. The problem was the end of the hose had been laid in the dirt throughout the regular season. And instead of doing what I should have and change the hose out and test from that, I, you know, I ended up having a whole lot of stress for not doing the right thing. <laughs> right. And that, I mean, that's advice that we try to give people is if you get a negative test, to just test again first before, because it's, yeah, it can be really stressful. Yeah, yeah, just clean out your, clean out the hose in and, you know, anything, anything that can be detached or lay in the dirt or just be, if it, you have a five inch rain one afternoon and, and it backwashes into one of your lines, just kind of clean all that first before you go dumping, you know, massive amounts of chlorine and sanitate down a well, you know, that it's not that it's a bad thing to do once a year, but it's better to just test it, send it up again. And, and having, having that documentation in your food safety plan is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It shows you doing your job. That's one thing that farmers, they, they freak out about. They're like, well, that's just more documentation. It's like, well, if you have five years of history and you've never one time had any type of problem with your well, that's more fishy than somebody who, hey, I had a negative test. I did this, this, and this, and the next test was positive. The well's fine. It was just the hose that that shows that you're actually doing your job instead of just, hey, it's all good. You know, like because no farms all good. That's a lie. Anybody who says that they are lying. You're never perfect. I don't care who you are. All right. Don't get shot by lightning by lying. This is bad. There are going to be problems on a farm. And the more documentation you have in it, it's showing that you're paying attention. And that's what that whole program is for, is just to make sure you're not running produce through the middle of your cow field. It was hard before I learned how to do it. Uh, so the Satsumas, kids love Satsumas. So even without having to be audited, are, I mean, do you think about just the kids and food safety stuff? Do parents ever ask you about your food safety when they're buying your product? No, I've not been asked by parents. I, I've, I've been asked, you know, by everyone, every place I've sold to for the most part. I think that there are certain places where that's a real big issue to people and where we're from, everybody gets food from their granddad's garden anyway. So like most people are very trusting in the fact that you're doing your job right. So the question is, you know, if you just don't do the right thing because they don't expect it, you know, what happens when you screw up or when somebody gets sick, you're just, that's what, that's when you let people down the most. For us, it was just, it was just a no brainer. If I don't feed it to my kid, I ain't feeding it. I throw out more food just because I don't think it's good than probably actually is bad. So 
the USDA inspector has actually chastised me for that. And he's come back and told me I was, we were pushing too hard and culling too much good fruit, but it's also because I've never been trained on it. And I had no idea. So I just thought it's supposed to look perfect every time to get that grade. So, you know, setting your standards high is a very good thing. And at the end of the day, you're not going, you're not going to lose money by setting quality as your highest standard. You know, what's going to cost you the most and what's going to cost your reputation the most is just being somebody who is trying to make as much money as humanly possible without taking in the human component and the fact that a lot of people don't understand agriculture and you're the one that's responsible for making sure you don't lose that trust. So, I mean, it's something that you need to take seriously out So kind of along those lines, I'm curious, what kind of education have you had to offer to your customers about like the food safety standards on your farm? Uh, Commer Market, they, they like to have a food uh, copy of your food safety plan. So you're going to have to have that to submit to them. And I recommend very highly doing it in a digital form. With any place that we sold to so far, some of them, the, the larger the, the operation, it seems like, like the more, the more corporate structured it is, they seem to want, they want to see your certifications. Like sometimes they may want to see a copy of your water test. But for the most part, they'll just, they'll want you to send that, uh, like for us, we do harmonized gap. So they want to see the harmonized gap audit. And at the end of every year, when it gets about a month out, they start sending the email asking for, for you to upload or email the renewed form to them, showing that, you, that you've met the standard for that. So that, with Common Market, they keep a copy. Whole Foods is a whole different animal. Like you've got a whole website, you've got to enter stuff in. And, but they also have one of the highest standards out there. So when you're selling through them, you're going to have to meet a lot different type, basically different questions than you'll ever have in your food safety audit. You're going to have to answer for them. We sold to Cisco a few times and for them, they really just wanted a copy of the audit. That was pretty much it. And then they, some people try to tell you, you have to have a certain company like use Primus or something like that. And I've, I've pretty well taken the, the hard sales approach, just take it or leave it. And if they say we don't want it, I'm like, fine, I probably don't want you either. <laughs> so, so, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're pushing for one of the most costly audits to be forced onto somebody's farm, I, I feel like you're probably more interested in business with Primus than you are with me. So, or whatever company. Sometimes too much paperwork, too much uh, food safety type information inside your booklet makes it too hard to follow. And for for the GAP certifications, it's very simple, it's very straightforward, it's very methodic, and it, it, it makes, it's common sense. It's not extra garbage. It's just thrown in there for, for legal purposes. It's in there to make sure you're doing your job, and that's it. So that's, a, that's my little promotion for Harmonized GAP. Go for it. <laughs> what would you tell a grower who maybe hasn't gotten their water tested? Like, what what advice would you give them about the importance of water testing if they aren't, you know, under any regulation or anything like that that's making them do it? I can give you a story on that one. My dad's well is his, his water in the southern part of Lowndes County, Georgia, where I was born, is very heavy in iron. So we, we just always thought that it tasted like iron. You know, that was that was the issue with it. When we started getting our GAP certification, we used his home well as our 
our cleaning source. It actually, I mean, we use that thing for that well for everything. We washed, we had a what we had one line run into a washdown rack for our tractors. We had another line running for where we hooked up to, to our pressure washers to spray off our, our picking and processing line. Like we had all these different points and we'd been using it. We drank out of it when we were dehydrated out in the fields. I mean, when we tested that thing, it was it was horrible. I mean, it was like it was it was an insane amount of of bacteria in that well and you know it was just something that you didn't think about you thought that it was just when you're on a farm and you live out in that mess all day you had you don't have the same reaction to salmonella and e coli and those different bacterias that you know coliform any of it. you don't have that same reaction that someone who lives in a city does because they're exposed to chlorinated water so if we would have continued using that well, washing down fruit, like we would have been fine. Nobody we know on our farm would have ever gotten sick, but there would have been some trouble, you know? And so just because you're fine and nobody around you is sick and people who come to your house don't get sick. So basically what's bad, what's fine for you, if you send that to somebody in Atlanta or somebody in Miami, Florida, and it hasn't been washed in clean water, it, I mean, you're just setting somebody up at, along the line with a weak immune system to get sick. And eventually, at some point, if you're not taking the right precautions, even if you're not certified, if you're just not testing every now and then just for yourself, something's going to get messed up. And it's a lot better to be protected and, know, and have something holding you accountable to do the right thing just to make sure that you're not accidentally introducing something into somebody's system than to just let it happen. You know, that, that's just it's being a responsible person is really what it is. And even if you don't have the money to get certified or the farmer's market's not requiring you, having your water tested once a year and spending that 30 or $40 and making the drive, like our drive is like three, three hours there and back. It's like we're, we're about an hour and a half away from our testing uh, laboratory. So when you put it in the car, you got to drive it there and get it there within a few hours. So making that drive is worth it. I mean, it costs what, 150, 200 bucks total gas and mileage and testing bottles like after that. But at the end of the day, one, you're, you're certified, you have protection for yourself. So that way, if something happens along the supply chain, they can look at you and say, well, it wasn't him or it wasn't her, you know, and then you, you, I mean, you're, you know that you're sending something out that you don't have to worry about. And I mean, guys, I mean, the first time we sold fruit, we've been going to the food safety classes and had just taken the Produce Safety Alliance class. We hadn't been certified at all. We were just selling right off the farm stand. So I'm laying there at night, like every time, like every time we close the stand down on Sunday, I'm waiting like three or four days, like, man, what if somebody gets sick? <laughs> you know, <laughs> You just you start to worry about those things. It's not something a farmer thinks about on a daily basis, you know. And we're worried about the aphids on our plants. We're worried about some random beetle that just decided to show up and start chewing on the outside of your fruit line. Like we're worried about crazy stuff like that. So just having a system in place that gives you keeps you thinking about about maintaining clean food. I mean, it, it's it's just a responsible thing. And there's nothing wrong with being with being responsible, you know. I don't think. Um, can you talk a little bit about the maintenance of your well, of what you do in between tests, if anything? Really with the well, I mean, you just, you just keep it a clean place. I mean, you want to, 
you want to make sure, like throughout the year, especially in the in the summertime, it's raining all the time. The grass is growing like crazy. You're going to get grass growing up around it. Most wells, kind of like ours, all of ours are, have little shelters over them. So anywhere there's a shelter, you're going to stack something eventually. And it's important just every now and then to keep that place cleaned out. And I mean, we've had, I think it was our first audit. Or Billy, didn't you come down whenever... Uh, I think you were there helping us and we had a crack in the concrete pad right up next to the wellhead. Yeah. And so we had to fix that. I mean, we just took a grinder, ground out the crack and then built a form around it and just poured a little bit of cement on there and just filled in the crack, you know, and just pay attention to it. I mean, you, you don't want to have a crack around your wellhead anyway. So, I mean, that's just another thing to help you keep up on your maintenance and just document everything. Like anything that I've done throughout the year, I keep little notes on my phone or whatever. And then we sit down, you know, we'll sit down every couple, I would like to say every couple of weeks, but that's a lot. We sit down about every month or two and kind of just make sure that we're keeping up with everything. As long as you're keeping the notes on notes that you can refer back to, if they ever ask, well, how do you, how often do you update your food safety plan? And you can say, well, we update it every month or two, but here's where I keep track of everything that we do. Here's my, this is my list. So that when we go to annotate it in, into the food safety plan, you know, this is what we go off of. The only time you can't really function like that is when it's harvest, it's harvest time and, and a little bit, and little, when, you know, when it comes to like any fertilizers, spray records, if you do compost and manure, things like that, you've got to track that daily or weekly, whatever your plan calls for. That's an important thing. I don't know if anybody's touched that. Really, your food safety plan, there's no set anything for you to follow as far as your schedule the way it works is that your minimum requirement for water is once a year okay and then there's a set standards that you have to follow if you get a positive test back okay the issue is whenever you write your operating procedure if you're going to inspect your well every two months it doesn't matter as long as you just do it every two months like for us it says check it prior to the harvest season so all I've got to do is check it prior to the harvest season and make sure the well's clean. But we do it all year long just to make sure it's not a ton of work right at the end. So it's whatever you write in that plan, that's what you have to follow. That, that's what a lot of people get lost in. If you've got a basic standard for what your water test is supposed to be, don't go in there and write all this crazy stuff like, you know, in accordance with law 73-2, we're going to go out and pour chlorine twice a week. Don't add to what you already got to do, man. You just look at it and say, we're going to test once a year. And then just do it. That's, that's it. So simple is best. And now, let's hear from Rachel of Star Farm. So my name is Rachel. I use she, her, and they, them pronouns. Uh, I am based in Chicago and I am the current manager for production manager for Star Farm Chicago, which is a farmer's market and home delivered CSA farm. We uh, got a lot of success last year during the pandemic and our CSA kind of exploded like a lot of other small scale veggie growers. So we work with a lot of really fantastic um, small scale vegetable producers around the Midwest, most of them. Um, in Illinois with a couple of folks from Michigan and Wisconsin to offer aggregated farmer's market 
Uh, we're at nine markets this year, as well as an aggregated CSA. We have about 7,000 square feet of production space. So we're, we're kind of growing um, the things that we can't really get from a lot of our wholesale producers as well as, so it's kind of like a blended like market garden, as well as like a little bit of almost treating it like wholesale, but it's mainly going into our CSA. So a lot of salad greens and cutting greens like kale and collards, um, a lot of cherry tomatoes, a lot of peppers, sweet and hot peppers, a lot of root crops, mainly carrots, beets and radishes, and a lot of squash for squash blossoms, mainly squash blossoms, but definitely the summer squash as well. So just a little bit of, we grow just a little bit of everything. And so I'm also like managing our greenhouse and doing all of those um, starts and also managing our first year incubator program where we have four farmers who are sharing a three lot urban site to grow vegetables, primarily for mutual aid purposes. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> you are very busy. <laughs> Just a little bit. So it sounds like there's a lot of produce kind of coming in and out and being distributed in a bunch of different ways. So from different farms and different farmers, what does the flow look like? Yeah. Um, so the beginning of our week, Monday and Tuesday, is kind of trying to play cleanup and get the farm ready for the week ahead. Most of our staff, with the exception of me, like work Wednesday through Sunday because a lot of since most of our staff are participating in farmers markets um, and we're trying to keep our harvests as close to market as possible. A lot of people really come in on Wednesday and Wednesday kicks the week off with our CSA. Um, so usually Monday and Tuesday is cleaning out the cooler, getting everything inventoried, working with some of our mutual aid um, and wholesale clients, teeny tiny wholesale clients that we have. Tuesday is usually our first harvest day. And when we start getting deliveries to kind of start aggregating for CSA markets, Wednesday is CSA pack out and delivery day. So that's when we're getting like our large shipments from the slightly larger wholesale farms that we purchase produce from um, and filling up our teeny tiny cooler as well as packing out. We have about a hundred shares a week um, right now. So packing those out and sending them off into the world, all of those CSAs are home delivered. Thursday is harvest day two and, you know, trying to like get stuff organized in the cooler because Thursday is also Wednesday and Thursday we also kick off some of our farmers markets so a lot of coming and going and then Friday we just pull everything out of the cooler get it labeled get it packaged if we need to getting it ready for markets and then it's just go 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 at markets all weekend and then we start the fun process all over again so <laughs> for me I am also in the exciting role of kind of like taking over our wholesale purchasing and working with some of the farmers in the city so that we're actually getting Chicago grown produce to the markets. And it's not just like the wholesale farms who are outside of the city growing on acres and acres of land. You know, we're trying to help like these beginner businesses, which is really fun. <laughs> Very fun. So with all the produce coming in and all the packing you have to do, where does washing fit in? When does that happen in the process? All of our produce that we're getting from other farmers does come like washed. Otherwise we're using that opportunity. So Tuesdays when we harvest, we're washing all of the produce we grow in house. Wednesday, if we're packing CSA, we notice that crops are dirty. We set up a wash, like our wash pack. Um, usually it's all been cleaned. And then Thursday, harvest day when we're cleaning. And then Friday during our market packing, when we pull everything out of the cooler, that's when we'll also use that as an opportunity to get everything washed. So it's almost like four out of five days a week, we are washing, washing crates, washing produce. What a treat. 
can you talk like talk us through what that process the wash process looks like for you and I remember like your setup is really cool too it's like an l shape yes it's very funky so the site that we do most of our processing at um so we have a house that our cooler and wash pack kind of against so we were kind of like working with the infrastructure of the site and then we're working on about two and a half like city lots which is where like the adjacent farm is um we have two other sites that we're growing produce so if we're bringing produce from them whether it's the incubators coming and using our space they also have a wash pack on site um, or we're bringing produce from our greenhouse site which is a little bit smaller we are wash pack is a funky like L kind of a T shape. So we work under a carport. So it's a covered area. And the wash pack was kind of interesting to design because the infrastructure wouldn't really allow for like the ideal like big like stock tanks with like a beautiful piece of lay flat that we could have like go out into the street um so it's kind of like a very like cute diy approach to a wash pack which i think also would make it approachable to a lot of like beginner farmers who don't have a ton of capital to invest in the dream wash pack so everything we have is meant to move because we also host events in that same area. So everything is on a collapsible table. We use like, uh, I think they're 20 gallon gorilla trugs as like our dunk tanks, as well as some like Rubbermaid, like thick grade plastic. Um, we'll often like have two dunk tanks going just so that we can, you know, get produce clean as quickly as possible. But the way it starts, so it's almost like a T shape. So it's like, here's like the back wall where the cooler is. This is where all of the clean crates that are ready to go for harvest are. And then on this opposite side, so we have like a walkway here in the middle and then walkway over here to the farm. This opposite side is where we're setting up most of our dunk tanks. So people are kind of starting here, taking produce out and around or taking a clean crate out and around to go into the field and then coming back and dropping off crates. And so as the empty crates move forward, so does the clean produce so that we're able to just like take it dunk it and then we have two additional lines where people are either spinning our salad greens or they're packaging all of those other like uh you know like bunching greens root crops things like that they're getting bunched so then they make another circle to go right back into the cooler <laughs> so the shape is interesting and the flow is not as traditional as when we think of like a nice straight line in terms of like a dirty to clean flow but once we kind of trained staff and got them going on it, it actually makes a lot of sense because the end goal is to have everything go, you know, directly into the cooler, making it easy to get clean crates into the field, dirty produce back to the wash pack, and then clean produce either just going straight into the cooler or ready to be packaged. Do you use sanitizer in your waters? Yeah, we use Sanidate. Um, we chose Sanidate because we were able to use it as a surface sanitizer and as a water sanitizer. And so since we have a lot of like first time farmers coming through, I wanted to make it like as simple as possible. And it's been working really well for us. This was like the first year that this farm has used any type of water based sanitizer. What was your decision to start using sanitizer? What led to that? Um, I used it at my last farming gig, and so it was a standard practice and something that I was comfortable with, but also we are in an area where there are a lot of cats. <laughs> um, so, and we just like in general, it's, it's city farming, and so I think having that added step of a sanitizer um, as me as a farmer, like makes me feel more comfortable in knowing that we're minimizing a food safety risk. And then two, since we are training farmers through an incubator program and we're training, you know, staff who want to continue 
working in urban agriculture in Chicago, I wanted them to kind of be familiar with that process is something that I think is becoming more and more of an industry standard is like a really simple step that you can introduce to your food safety plan to just like help you and your customers know that you're taking that extra step to make sure that there's, you know, you're really trying to minimize contaminants. Do you have any messaging that you offer your customers about your wash process? We just usually get a lot of questions about like where the produce is grown. We get a lot of questions at the farmer's market about our soil, which is interesting. But I think people, you know, like are aware that Chicago is an old city, which means we have lots of tasty treats in our soil left over from, uh, you know, when we were a major transportation and processing hub for things like steel um, and sausage. So people tend to ask more questions about how the produce is grown rather than how the produce is washed. Um, but I think, you know, that does sometimes come up in conversations at the market and we let people know like, yeah, like the produce is not ready to eat, but it's definitely gone through like a double or triple wash. We try to make it as clean as possible for you. Cause people also tend to ask questions about the critters and we're like, that's why we wash your produce for you. <laughs> Got it. Do you wash all of your produce or are there certain, is there a certain produce that you choose not to wash or what does that look like? Um, we mainly just wash our greens. So we're, we're dunking all of the greens. We will occasionally dunk our root crops if the volume is high enough. But for things like fruiting crops, um, we usually just like wipe them with a paper towel, just mainly because the it's a lot of water that we would have to use for our fruiting crops. Um, and we would rather just encourage people to wash those. Like it's a lot, but also like at the volume that we're growing, it would just be a little bit strange to set up the dunk tanks for our fruiting crops. And so, mm -hmm. and there's also like, I'm just like afraid of infiltration. <laughs> so I would just prefer to, we just like wipe those with paper towels. I know you have many SOPs and you love writing SOPs. Can sure you talk know. about what your wash process SOPs look like and where they're posted? Yes. So we actually finally got them laminated and posted. So we don't have a lot of walls except for one. So everyone, when they get the food safety training, I like have beautiful pictures that have smiley faces or frowny faces um, and limited words. Because if I hand someone a stack of paper that's about food safety, I'm usually working with young people who are in high school, or I'm working with young adults who don't have a lot of technical training in farming. And so to see a big piece of paper with lots of words and little pictures, they're immediately gonna like glaze over and be like, I don't need to pay attention to this. So instead, what I usually do is I just give them a walkthrough of the wash pack, like a demo of harvesting, or if it happens to align with a harvest day based on their training, we go through it that way. But the signage is posted so that once we've walked through the training together, I show them where it's posted and we kind of like walk through the steps of like setting up the wash pack and like what a harvest day or, or a pack out day actually looks like so that they've seen it in action and then they have like this very consolidated abstract minimal text thing that they can refer back to and trying to make sure that like in the picture it's like here's what the wash pack should look like when it's set up and ready to go here's what a dirty crate looks like hmm. sad face here's what a clean crate looks like after we've washed it with all of these beautifully labeled bottles and tools happy face um trying to make it like i'm like using humor obviously is like a shtick but also like you will remember if a crate that is full of sloppy you know mm -hmm. rotten brassicas and dirt you will remember that that is dirty and that you should not use that for a clean crate and it's been very effective <laughs> having those posted because this is really like the first year that we've had like 
you know, I've brought like food safety practices to the farm. So yeah, love a visual SOP because also it's harder to like re-explain that whole process. But if you have a photo posted, it helps empower people. And it also helps all of our crew members hold each other accountable because they like, it's the best feeling in the world when my high schoolers who've only worked at the farm for three weeks will be like, wait a minute, that's a dirty crate. It hasn't been washed yet. It hasn't been sanitized. Why aren't you taking a bottom tote out to the field with you? And I'm like, is this, is heaven real? Is this, is this actually happening right now? So that's when I'm like, okay, cool. If the SOP is letting other people hold themselves accountable and I don't have to be the crabby manager and like the food safety, like czar, then like it's working. That, that's so cool. You know, so we've <laughs> talked to a couple of great farmers. It sounds like a really lovely place to work at your farm. <laughs> Thanks. I try. Uh, you've said a couple times that you dunk crops. How do you know when the water is too dirty to keep dunking and you have to replace it? That is a great question. My youth will like dunk like eight crops and be like, the water's too dirty. And I'm like, that's no, <laughs> we've, we've got to keep going. Um, so usually for us, so part of why we set up multiple dunk tanks is to also like keep crops separate, especially for like our greens, which we know are going to be really dirty. It allows us to dunk everything at the same time and keep that water from having to be changed constantly, which is a huge time suck in the middle of our day when we're trying to beat the heat. Cause it's also been exceptionally hot in Chicago this year. So once it starts, when it's like visibly like gritty, um, that's when we will change the water. Um, we do use like a pool skimmer or one of our like finer mesh, like harvest baskets to remove like larger particulate, especially on like a salad harvest day. But we'll also like, we'll kind of maybe go through like two or three crops depending on the size. And we'll be like, you know what? Okay. May if, we if we have a pretty big harvest to do today, let's just do those two or three crops. And then we'll reset because also by that time, the water is probably warm. It's not doing the crops very much good. We've also had an experience where we were like, maybe we don't need to change the water. And someone dunked a crop and it was like, that chard is gritty. So we're going to, we're going to reset. We're going to do a nice clean break here. We're going to reset and we're going to make sure like we can actually see the water and that it's doing some good. My next question is kind of a two-parter. The first is... Do you use the word turbidity on your farm? And the second is, how do you explain turbidity to your employees? So yes, I definitely use the term turbidity. Again, trying to make the language as approachable as possible, but it's always fun to drop in a fun big word, especially when I'm working with high schoolers. Um, for me, when I talk about turbidity, I explain to them like it's how disgusting your water is. And so usually I try to reference everything with food safety, like back to someone's personal level of comfort. Like how much poop do you feel like eating today? And usually people will be like um, zero. And I'm like, great. That's probably our customers too. And the people that we're donating produce to. And then if we're doing a wash pack and we talk like on the days where I introduce the term turbidity or talking about when we're changing the water, I'm like, all right, I want you to put your hand in the dunk tank all the way to the bottom. Let me know when you feel like you can't see your hand anymore. And if that makes you feel good about washing produce in that. And usually that elicits a pretty good response from people about like, this water is disgusting. And it's like, cool, that means that we should probably change the water. So talking about like the level of murkiness. Um, I don't know if any of them would like jump to remember the word turbidity, but they will definitely be able to tell me that the water is nasty and I will take it. <laughs> just sticking with this theme. Uh, I love the way that you train this 
is it something that you have to train all season long or do does the whole team kind of have a shared understanding of turbidity after a certain amount of weeks i would say it's a little bit of both i'm definitely having to train constantly throughout the season especially because we have we have like different staff who kind of start at different points of the year um, whether it's our farmers market staff or we hire people who you know we do many things on our urban farm as a nonprofit that's in a community so we'll have programming staff who of course also have to have a hand in the day-to-day of running the farm as well as you know like a six-week like youth program which we're right in the middle of right now so definitely doing like multiple trainings throughout the season and also just like constantly checking in with people, I think helps people like it fosters a sense that people can ask questions and they want to be doing the right thing. I found that a lot of our seasonal staff are more concerned about doing the right thing than maybe, you know, like some of our staff who've been around for a while, because I think sometimes people get jaded, unfortunately, about like good practices. And so I think having to keep training people and having like fresh crops of people allows everyone to kind of stay on top of the food safety game. And so with like water and changing the water, I feel like each week that we do a harvest, I try to have like an experienced person partner, whether that's me or someone who's been at the farm for a while working with a new person to kind of explain that. Um, And then it gets a dialogue going about like, am I doing this right? Is the water good enough for me to use? Because I think there's also hesitancy. Like when we talk about food safety with capital letters, people get a little nervous. And so they really want to make sure they're, they're doing the right thing. So I feel like, yes, there's people who get it, as they've been doing it longer, but I feel like it's also just like a constant topic of conversation, which I'm also okay with because I would rather people ask and like be checking themselves and like checking in with each other about doing the right thing than being like, whatever, there's tons of turds in this water, let's go, which hasn't happened. I just have to say that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. That That was really great to hear. Thanks for joining us. Please take some time to explore the Young Farmer's Guide to Writing a Food Safety Plan and some of our favorite resources in the Produce Safety Library located on the Young Farmers website, youngfarmers.org. And reach out if you have any questions. We would love to hear from you. Our email is services at youngfarmers.org. Thanks for joining us.